Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Well, aren't you thankful to be here this morning? Yeah. We're starting a, uh, a brand new series. It's our summer series. We're kicking off uh, this morning. And the theme uh, for these upcoming weeks is God's Heart, Our City. And I wanted you just to uh, see some of the speakers that we're going to have uh, coming here over these next few weeks. Uh, but also, um, I-, I want you to take a moment and consider a thread that ties all of this together. Uh, June 26th, Jeremiah Johnson, uh, Casey Leander on July 3rd. These are two guys who are gifted in the area of apologetics. Uh, as we talk about making a difference in our world, uh, in particular, addressing the concerns or the questions that some of the people around you may have about Christianity, about whether or not it really does relate to what's going on in the world, these guys are going to be able to help uh, with answering those questions. And, and one question in particular will come up during uh, those two guys uh, as they share. Um, it'll be a point of importance for you. What happens if you, as a Christian, have doubts about your faith? As you listen to some of the objections to Christianity, what happens when doubt starts to rise in your own heart? Is that okay? Does that say anything about your salvation? Is that something of a concern? They're going to tackle that and highlight for you that actually God uses that struggle with doubt in our own life to strengthen our faith and see that he actually does not only provide the answers, but is the greatest answer uh, that is available. Jimmy Dodd is going to come. Uh, he's part of a group called uh, Pastor Serve. Uh, he's going to be talking about why it's important for a church to have a passion for other uh, pastors doing well, but it's going to help us also answer the question uh, when you are looking out at the world around us, you're happy, Lord willing, with the church that you're attending, right? Uh, you, you may be still shopping. Uh, welcome to this service if you are. Um, but Jimmy Dodd's going to help us answer the question, why should you be concerned about the spiritual health of other churches in your community? Okay, this is an important question. Do you know that sitting in this room right now, that this is not the totality of all of the Christians in Salem? Are you aware of that? There are other believers, and and I want you to hear this. There are other good believers in other churches in this city this morning. Do you believe that? We want a stronger amen by the time Jimmy Dodd comes to that answer, okay? You should be concerned about their spiritual health because those people matter. And we're trying to reach Salem, not be the most popular church among Christians. We're trying to make Jesus popular with those who don't believe. So he's going to tell us why that would be important. Lee Lewis is going to come back. You've heard him before and talk about counseling, but in particular... Uh, how do we fulfill the one another? So it's not just we should be concerned about the spiritual health of other churches, but we ought to be concerned about the spiritual health of the person sitting next to us. When you walked in this morning, you were either filled up, kind of middling, or struggling in your faith. But when you arrived here, your desire is to connect with the Lord and to connect with somebody else, either so that you can serve and bless him, that's if you're spiritually healthy, or so that they can minister to you and take you a little further in your walk. 
we need to be concerned about how we minister to one another. He's going to help us with that. And then Russ Lee is going to come. He helped uh, lead worship at our kickoff during uh, the beginning of this last school year. Um, But he has a background that will be important for you to be able to hear um, regarding addiction, brokenness in his own family, and why you should be concerned about those that are broken in your community. He comes out of that brokenness, finds Christ, and his life has been transformed. Um, But he's going to talk about why we should be concerned about those that are broken. There is nobody in Salem or around the world that is beyond the reach of Christ. Amen? Amen. And we ought to be concerned about how to reach them. So these are the guys that are coming for our summer series. Our theme, once again, is God's heart, our city. But for the first two weeks, uh, I'm not up there, but you're stuck with me. (laughs) All right? And here's the thing I want us to consider. I mean, we just got done with missions emphasis. We just got done talking about evangelism. Um, You know, let's get into some Bible study, and we are going to spend time in the Word. But you might be asking, okay, those things are great, but why should I be concerned about this particular summer series? Why should I care? All right? I'm already a believer. I look around at the people around me, and I, I like them. I want them to know Jesus. Isn't that enough? Why does this matter? Uh, We're going to be looking at the book of 1 Thessalonians for these first two weeks, chapter 1 and chapter 2. And this is my premise as we are are tackling this. I believe that there is an ache inside of every single person that is here. You got saved. You encounter Christ. And there is something inside of you, an ache that God put in you at the very beginning to be a part of something meaningful. You desire to see God fulfill his purpose through you in the world. Not just through other people, but through you. And we're going to consider um, the reason why you should be concerned about this is you have a role in impacting our city. It's not something our church is doing. It's not something some other group is going to do. You, in particular, have a role to play. First Thessalonians chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 2 through the end of the chapter. And we're going to take a devotional look at this very quickly this morning. Uh, to set us up, and the next week we're going to answer the what we should be about. But right now, the why. Why should you care? It is found right here in these verses. Let's stand and read this together. First Thessalonians chapter 1. And the scripture says this, We always thank God for all of you making mention of you consistently in our prayers. We recall in the presence of our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because... Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. And with full assurance, you know how we lived among you for your benefit. You yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord when, in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. As a result, get this, 
you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and in Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Therefore, we don't need to say anything. For they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait from the Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Do you believe that's important for us to know this morning? You may be seated. Major premise for this morning and for this series is this. There is an ache in the human heart to live a life of deep meaning that leaves a trail. Christ satisfies that ache. There is an ache in your heart to live a meaningful life that leaves a trail, a legacy. And Christ is the one that satisfies that ache. Now there are many scriptures that back this up. Uh, I just want you to take a look at what's going on here in 1 Thessalonians. Notice in verse seven, something that is written to this group and the Apostle Paul has considered this worthy to take a note of. He says, as a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, for the word of the Lord rang out. Think about that word. It's like a, a, a bell has been rung, a horn has been blasted, there's a shout that has gone out. It's important for them to hear it a certain way. The word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Every single place that they hear about you. There is something inside these people that is cheered because they see what God's been doing in you and they know it's possible that God can do it in them. Now what kind of a testimony is a church like that? Don't you want to be a part of a church like that? Where every single place, it's, it's not the biggest church, Thessalon, Thessalonica would not be the biggest church that Paul would minister to, but it had this profound impact every single time that people heard the story of what happened in the Thessalonians' life, the gospel was magnified. It says it rang out. It wasn't just that they, they heard it, but it was like there was a shout that went out. There was a, a roar that would come up when they would hear this story and they would resound in praise. Why did Paul write that to them this way? He is satisfying for them. By the Spirit of God, he is satisfying an ache that they have. Have our efforts made a difference? Has our effort made a difference? There's a, an author uh, who just wrote a book called Undistracted, and in there, uh, this author, is he was just chatting with one of his friends, it was a doctor, he was at the doctor's office, the doctor is checking him out, and they're having a discussion. He says, but all of a sudden, my doctor's face went pale. Um, he's listening to my heart, we're doing the typical, you know, breathe deep, let's listen, all those kinds of things, and he said, okay, wait a minute, stop talking, Bob, and, and, and he Checks his you know, timing on there. He's checking the guy's pulse and he goes, uh, stay right there. And he runs out and he gets this card. He says, to me, it looked like a crash card. It just was something to check my heart rhythms and all these things. He hooks me up to all these electrodes and his facial, facial expression doesn't get any better. And he says, hang on just a second. And he brings in some nurses and they begin to check him. And he says, uh, Bob, I think we got a problem. He signs him up for a whole bunch of uh, extra tests, things that he was supposed to be a part of. And... Uh, they discover that his 
heart is in arrhythmia. He says it this way. He says, after more freezing tethoscopes, wires, beeps, furrowed brows, these experts all gathered around me and said that the only way to get my heart beating correctly again was to stop it momentarily and then restart it with a huge electric jolt. He said, you read that right. They have to stop my heart. And he pauses here and he says, here's my question for you. Would you do it? Would you be willing to risk dying in order for your life to be more lasting? Would you risk everything for the chance to live your life more fully? That's the kind of reset Jesus said following him would entail. He makes this observation. He says, we can all be new. We can all be transformed if we want to be. The cold, hard truth is most people don't. We settle for the safe and distracted life we know rather than the one that God promised is available to us. I would add to that, I think that many of us live distracted lives. We live lives of second best. We live lives filled with other people's opinions and other people's concerns, living based on what the world might think of us rather than what God is calling us to be. I think many of us deal with life that way. But there is something different in the believer, and that is, it's not just that you're unsettled, but there is the Spirit of God inside of you, an ache to live differently. An ache to see Christ fulfilled. You desire, you don't have to be stirred up by somebody else to say, I know evangelism is important or I know caring for my neighbor is important. You already know that. The Spirit of God's already stirring in you saying, gosh, I want to do this. I want to make a difference. I want to be a part of something like that. But you might not know how. Paul is writing this to a group of people saying, you've discovered the key. You've given your whole case to the master. You've allowed the great physician to actually be not only your doctor, but your healer, and you're making a difference, and everywhere people hear about it, they say, man, I want to live life that way. The question I have for you, is your spiritual heart like this author, Bob? Have the places that you've been and the things that you've experienced left you out of rhythm? Christ is stating that he can set you right. But you're going to have to let go of all of the things that are putting you out of rhythm and cling to him. Three observations. First thing I want you to notice, and we're just devotionally walking through this passage this morning. The first thing I want you to notice is God's heart for people is that they would find their meaning in him. Notice verse 3. It says, we recall in the presence of our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, your endurance inspired by hope. Here he's talking about a trail that is left behind because of Jesus Christ. I have verse 10 there in the notes. It should be seven through nine. It says, as a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith in God has gone out. Therefore, we don't need to say anything, for they themselves report what kind of reception we have from you, how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. You found your meaning in Christ. They want to find their meaning in Christ. Here's the thing that I think is super important for those of us who maybe start well, we hear about Christ, and then we make a muddle of it. Right? And right now we're saying, is it possible 
to be restored to a place where this can have any meaning. I, I want you to hear this. A life can have meaning even if it's a mess in the middle. All right? Read this paragraph with me. You have it in your notes if you took it. Notice the spelling. According to research at an English university, it doesn't matter in what order the letters in a word are. The only important thing is that the first and last letter is in the right place. The rest can be a total mess, and you can still read it without a problem. This is because we do not read every letter by itself, but the word as a whole. You're wondering how I can read that so fast? This is actually how I see the world. The first and last, Christ is called the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Your life is a sentence, and it may be a sentence filled with beginning and ending moments where Christ is the center of those, and you make a jumble in the middle, but if you put Christ in the mix, if you focus your life on Christ, he will take your mess and make sense of it. Otherwise, you just have a pile of letters. They didn't just randomly stick the alphabet up there. But Christ being the beginning and the end, the first and last statement there can make sense of your life. It says here that the word rang out. Why? I just want you to notice something, and we'll pay attention to it here a little bit later. But in Acts chapter 17, we read the story of what had happened um, in, the, in the Thessalonican journey. Acts chapter 17, and this is what happens. It says, uh, Paul goes there, passes through Amphopolis and uh, Apollonia. They came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. And as usual, Paul went to the synagogue and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. He began to explain to them about Jesus. Many people came to Christ. They began to respond. Verse five, but the Jews became jealous and they brought together some wicked men from the marketplace and they formed a mob and started a riot in the city. Attacking Jason's house, they searched them to bring them out to the public assembly. When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the other brothers before the city officials, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too, and Jason has welcomed them. Now the reason we have Jason as a name, I believe each time you find a name of a specific individual in there, this would have been somebody that was known to the church later. I believe Jason survives this scenario. But notice verse uh, 10 after this, it says, And soon as it was night, the brothers and sisters sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. And upon arrival, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. And the people here, get this phrasing, were of more noble character than those living in Thessalonica, since they received the word of God with eagerness and examined the scripture daily to see if these things were so. I go from Thessalonica People get saved, but there is an uproar and the church is in a complete mess. I go to Berea and these people love the Lord. They settle down, they read the word, they see it's true and everything is peaceful. But which story gets told far and wide as ringing out? Thessalonica can start well, ends in a riot. Paul gets run out of town, but later on he's writing them a letter saying, but man, what a great save. You guys have given your life to Christ and everywhere. You've left idols and have run to Christ and your story is being told around the world. Started well, 
mess in the middle, Christ resolves it, their story gets told and everyone says, well, if the Thessalonians can do it, we've got hope. God's heart is that you would find your meaning in him, but when you find your meaning in him, it's actually gonna give praise to God, not you. Second thing I want you to notice as we return back to 1 Thessalonians, God's heart for you is that you would know and embrace, embrace your assignment. I just want you to pause for a moment. I want you to listen to something and register how you feel as you listen. I am a furniture maker. I guess you could say I've been a furniture maker all my life. I was born into a furniture making family. My father was a furniture maker. His father was a furniture maker. It's in my blood. <laughs> what would you say you love most about being a furniture maker? <laughs> what don't I love? Um, the smell, that aroma, when you, when you enter the workshop of walnut and heart pine and oak, it's the smell, it's the smell of potential, you know, like I like to just take a piece of wood and, 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 and work with it and just dream. You know, what's this, what's this gonna be? You know, who is this table or this desk or this chair going to belong to someday? And, you know, and then there's, there's also the, um, the community part. Um, I love that, you know. It, I often get together with other furniture makers and talk about design and, you know, swap furniture-making stories, you know, and talk about the latest article in the furniture-making magazine that we read. Um, yeah, I, I, I love that. I mean, it's, I know, I know, it's, it sounds dorky, but, uh, you know, that's, that's who I am. <laughs> what would you say is your very favorite, you know, out of everything that you've done, what is your favorite piece mm. of, of furniture? Mm. 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 Um, I'm sorry? Um, I said, uh, you know, out of everything that you've made, what's your favorite piece of furniture? Well, I, I actually have never made a... A piece of furniture? What? Uh, like, you've never made anything? A chair or a table or, you know, mm. ashtray? No. How long did you say you've been doing this? Oh, 18 years. Okay, so in 18 years, you're telling me you've never made a single piece of furniture? Oh, look, I mean... Furniture making is, is is so much more 
than just producing things. Okay, it's 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 a way of life. Okay, this this is this is my identity. This is what I grew up on. I mean, this is what I've invested in. It's what I it's what I think about. It's what I dream about. Yeah, yeah, I, I get that. It's just it seems like if you're going to call yourself a furniture maker, that you maybe should have made a piece of furniture. <laughs> well, I didn't know we had a. <laughs> An expert in furniture making here. <sighs> well, I don't even, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, <laughs> I, I actually, I actually feel kind of sorry for you right now. Why? Yeah, you're so, you're 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 so narrow-minded. Uh, f- furniture making, furniture making is life. Okay, and and there's not anyone that I know. There's not a single person I know who is more committed, who's more dedicated to the art, to the ideas of furniture making than I am. And I am proud of what I do. I will tell the world, nay, I will shout to the world, I I'm a furniture maker. Anyone else feel awkward? (laughs) Yeah. Here's the question I have for you. If you feel a little icky, if it felt a little odd, if it felt like, man, that guy's not really a furniture maker, I want you to think about something. This is how many Christians sound to the world around them. I'm a disciple of Christ, the one who said, go to all the nations and make disciples. The one who said, I've given you spiritual gifts and that the fruit of the spirit would be evident in you and that my name was to be made great among the nations. I'm a Christian by the way, is a way of saying, I am a little picture of Christ. That's what a Christian means. If you haven't shared your faith, if you haven't walked with somebody else in a discipleship or mentor role, if you have not lived your faith overtly with somebody else, then we're like this furniture maker. We're proclaiming, hey, there's no one else that it matters more to. I've studied it. I've read the magazines. I've got all the articles. I know who's a good furniture maker. I'm a disciple of this furniture maker or that one. But if we cannot in our lives see any trail where that following has made a difference, we're like this. God's heart for you is that you would know and embrace your assignment. I just want you to notice this trail and we'll move on. By the way, how are we doing? Is that okay? Uh, If it rings true, just hold on to it. But in verse three, once again, we recall in the presence of our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in Christ. Three different words here. Uh, Notice in there that faith, love, and hope are highlighted. These are the great three all the way through the New Testament. But it says your work produced by faith. Work literally is an assignment that's been handed to you. It uses a different term next, and it says your Labor, motivated by love. Something changes from your assignment to labor. This is literally a labor of love, something that you've now become passionate about. 
and your endurance, that is passion for a long time. Something happens when they got their assignment, it turned into a labor of love. Now we have examples of this. There is a consistent pattern in life where you were handed an assignment, but you end up loving it in the end. You, you are handed something, and at the very beginning, it feels like work, but it turns into something you would not give up for the world. Anybody in here a parent? There is a season where you decide to feed the thing that cries at 3 a.m., all right? There is a moment later on where you love the thing that cries at 3 a.m. with a passion where you say, I wouldn't do anything else. I wouldn't want anybody else to have this job. I wouldn't hand this job to anybody else. There's a pattern in life that is consistent like this where at first it feels like a chore and it becomes a labor of love and you wouldn't give it away for the world. And the endurance, it says, in verse 10, ultimately leads you to a place where you look forward to Christ's return so you can show him what you have been focused on. This is the trail that is left in the life of a believer. The question I have for you this morning is, what has Christ called you to do that feels like an assignment, but has the potential to be a labor of love? What has he called you to do? It'll feel like work before it turns into a passion. Don't take the path of least resistance and do something easy. Take the assignment. Final devotional thought, and we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper. In this series, in particular, and this morning especially, I want you to understand this. God's heart for our city is that it would be deeply impacted by what satisfied Christians say and display. I already read to you in uh, Acts chapter 17 that statement. I'm going to reread just one uh, reason for the uproar among the Thessalonians. It says that when they did not find Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and some of the other brothers before the city officials, and they were shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. When you share the message of Christ, when you live the way that God has called you to live, there will be an opinion in the world. You are one of those people that just turns the world upside down. Are you aware of that? That's the opinion. But when you turn the world upside down, does it turn out for good? Or like when the world turns the world upside down, it just turns into a mess. They've turned the world upside down, but these people become more loving, more thoughtful, more connected, more engaged with their culture, not more divisive, more angry, more apt to riot, and more destructive. Our city needs people who are willing to turn the world upside down so that they find their faith and their unity and their joy in Christ. It is a loving environment that is produced, not a divisive one. Two major passages in scripture highlight this, Romans 12, Hebrews 12. I would encourage you to read those on your own. When it talks about living a life of sacrifice, these are the passages that I turn to. I beg you, my brothers, in view of the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's Romans 12. And in that chapter, you will find statements like, let love be without hypocrisy and overcome evil with good. Hebrews chapter 12, therefore, since we also have such a great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance 
the race that's set before us. Lay aside all the entanglements, the sin which so easily entangles us, and run with endurance. That's what it says. In that passage, you'll find words like pursue peace with all men. Be sure that there is not among any one of you a root of bitterness. When you have faith that you've laid on the altar, when you have faith with the living God, it impacts the people around you. And not just our city, but our church needs people on fire like that. So there's a test built into this first chapter. How do I know if that has become my disposition? How do I know if I've really given my life over to this? How do I know if I'm allowing Christ to fulfill this? And it says... You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, verse 10, and you wait for the son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Are you eager to see Christ face to face and present to him the fruit of your life? Lord God, your desire was for me to be this. I allowed you to work through me, and now I give you back the life that you gave me here is what I did with it. Are you eager to see Christ face to face and present to him what you've been doing this week, this month, this last year? If not, remember, Christ can make sense of the mess. But it is my belief in our first morning here as we tackle this series, it is my belief that the spirit of God in you is aching for you to be fulfilled with Christ's desires and to make a difference in the lives of others. Amen? I want you to pull out this set of symbols that we have here. We're going to uh, participate in the Lord's Supper. I'm going to pray, but I, I want to set this up. Um, C.S. Lewis, I was reading back through uh, a passage in Mere Christianity, and he had a chapter entitled Hope that many people quote. We've quoted it here quite often. But he speaks to the relevance of even what we're talking about this morning by saying this. He says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for this present world were just those who thought the most of the next. The apostles themselves who set foot Uh, who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were focused on heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. We actually have built into our faith something that Christ asked us to do, and that is... We are called to set aside time on a regular basis to consider Christ's death, burial, and resurrection and his soon return. He did something on our behalf to transform us so that we would have new life. If you've placed your faith in Christ, these elements are for you as a reminder. If you did not receive one of these on your way in, just raise your hand. The men will make sure that you get a copy of those or a, a set of those. Keep your hand raised, they'll bring those to you. But this is the thing that I want you to consider this morning. We're actually being asked 
um, to consider the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, but also his soon return and our relationship to that. Are you eager this morning to see Christ? Ask it a different way. Is there something in your life right now that stands between you and Christ and it's left you unfulfilled? We're going to take a moment. It says that we are only to take these elements if we reflect first on our own lives. We take a moment and just say, Lord, is there anything between you and I? And in particular this morning, is there anything, Lord, that that I am doing to stop your activity in my life from being fulfilled? Scripture is pretty clear. It says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All you have to do at this moment, you don't have to go out and, and do any spectacular penance. You confess that to the Lord and he will clean it up. But reflect before we partake in these elements. Let's pray. AJ and the team will lead us in a, a moment of worship and we'll participate in these elements. But reflect for a moment, Lord, is there anything between you and I? I'll give you a moment to do that and I'll pray. Lord God, you are calling us. Uh, You're calling us this morning to consider not just what a church could do, in a community and not just um, what a group of individuals could do to make a difference or leave a mark in the world. But you're asking us specifically whether or not we have placed our faith in you and whether or not we have put things in our life, activities or actions that would get in the way of a clean relationship with you. Father, it is possible to start well and make a mess. And so right now, we just come before you and we confess those sins, the things that beset us, that hold us back from running the race. And we ask that you would help us as we take these elements, not just to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Father, we can't have eternal life without that. But help us also to remember the soon return of Christ. You say in scripture that your reward is with you. That your desire is that through our faithfulness, allowing you to work in our lives, your name would be made great around the world. Help us to be on task, to fulfill the assignment that you've given us. Father, we do that by reflecting now and living this out later. I pray that you would help us as we take these elements to do it with clean hearts and to really register the high cost for us to be here. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Just familiarize yourself with these elements. You'll turn to the side that has the bread. Open that side first. And the scripture says this. For I received from the Lord that which I also passed on to you. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If you turn those elements over and open 
the cup. The scripture goes on. And it says, in the same way also, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Scripture concludes, for as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, help us this morning as we have considered a way in which this truth is put on display. We ask that you would help us. Uh, That ache that is in our heart to walk with you, uh, Father, because of this new life that you've given us, we pray that you would help us to fulfill that longing, uh, to allow you to have your way in our life so that you might be on display in a broken world. We ask that you would help us to rejoice in the opportunity. What is at first an assignment, let it be a labor of love, something that fills us up with passion as you allow us to walk alongside you as you are at work in the world. We thank you for moments like these where we can reflect and consider how we can better walk with you and put you on display. Give us grace to not only do that, but Father, anticipate the soon return of Christ to show him the lives that we were allowed to live, to give him back the fruit of those efforts. We ask that you'd help us. Find us faithful, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.